Thank you, brother. <clears throat> Thank you for those that serve with you. For so many of you that serve each and every single Sunday and during the week, we are so grateful for the ministry that you allow this church to be a part of. Hope you came this morning with a Bible, something that you can open up and have in front of you. And I want to invite for you to join me in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Hopefully when you came in, you've got a bulletin on the back of that. There'll be some notes. If you want to reference those during our time together in the Word this morning. But Mark chapter 1. And we're going to be focusing primarily this morning in verse 14 and verse 15. So Mark chapter 1, and we're going to pick up in verse 14 and verse 15 uh, this morning. It was back in 1918. It started as a cartoon-like strip in the newspaper, the New York Globe to be exact. Uh, we think about, um, some of you may not even re- maybe have familiarity with the newspaper, but um, a newspaper was something that was, that's where the news came from. And it was in print. And I remember growing up, and you always, I didn't really care about all the columns and all the opinion pieces. I went straight to the funny pages. I went straight to the cartoon strips. But it was, it was 1918, and there was this cartoon-like strip that was showing. It was a, a illustrated uh, cartoon strip and it was showing some um, facts. It was showing some truths and there was people that were wondering, is this real? Is it not real? This cartoon strip, if you would call it that, started to gain popularity. In the 1924, it was picked up by the Associated Press and became a syndicated column that was present or reprinted all throughout the nation in these newspapers. In fact, it said that in May of 1932, this newspaper column had 80 million daily readers. 80 million people every day would read this newspaper column that was being printed. It gained so much popularity that they had to hire a research assistant. So back in the 1950s, they hired a man by the name of Norbert Perlroth. And Norbert Perlroth's job was to be the research for this newspaper column. He would spend 52 years 10 hours a day, six days a week in the New York Public Library researching the information, researching the data that was presented in this daily newspaper column. It gained more popularity. And it progressed to not just a newspaper column, but it progressed to now they put these columns and a collection into books. They started acquiring artifacts. They started putting together um, different, uh, different venues where you could go and see these things that were being illustrated and talked about in print. And today they have over 20,000 photos, 30,000 artifacts, over 100,000 different columns that they have amassed, and this worldwide franchise has over 80 attractions that they have are logging over 12 million people a year. Either go to this website, go to this place of business, go to the books, etc., etc. And the whole premise is built upon, will you believe it or not? And back in the 1918s, Robert Ripley, the founder of Ripley's Believe It or Not, started with a simple newspaper column presenting an idea for the person to say, do I believe that or not? 
and it has now grown. You've got, you, maybe some of you in this room have been to some of Ripley's Believe It or Not, some of their uh, franchises, 80 plus, uh, 80 plus locations where you can go and you can walk through and you can see it. I remember growing up as a child. Um, it hasn't been that many years ago, but I remember growing up at the State Fair. You always had some of those trailers and some of those um, peculiar, peculiar places at the State Fair where they would charge you 50 cents to see this, 45 cents to see that, see a thousand pound pig, that would cost you a dollar. All of these things to say, do you believe it or not? And we come in here to the text in Mark chapter 1. We're coming into the life of Jesus. Now, I told you last week, Mark is very fast in the pace. He doesn't necessarily cover the the birth of Jesus as Luke or Matthew will. He doesn't cover the temptation of Jesus in the same breath that you will in Matthew. He doesn't necessarily cover the baptism of Jesus as you will see in some of the other gospels. He he moves to that rather quickly. But here in Mark chapter 1 and starting in verse 14, Jesus begins his earthly ministry and he comes into the city, the area known as Galilee. Now, if you were to look at a map of Israel, you would have Jerusalem and it is down there to the Southwest of the Dead Sea. If you go north, approximately 60 to 75 miles, you'll get to the Sea of Galilee. In that area known as Galilee was where Nazareth was at. And if you remember your Bible history, when Joseph and Mary comes out of Egypt, they settle back in Nazareth. And so that was where Jesus was grew, grew up at, and that is where he matured at. So as he comes and he begins his earthly ministry, he is coming into the area where he grew up at. And as he comes to his earthly ministry, he is coming to tell people, I am the Messiah. And everybody he talks to has the question. Will I believe it or not? And I think by extension for you and I here today, we are coming into a holiday season. And we are coming into a season that a lot of people have a lot of different ideas what this season is about. Even the idea of Thanksgiving has been hijacked by all kinds of commercialism and all kinds of uh, secularism. And the idea of Thanksgiving goes all the way back to people being thankful to God for what God has given them. And so even this coming Thursday, when we gather with families and friends, or some of you may gather at the Golden Corral, I don't know where you're going to be, but when you gather on Thursday, you are recognizing that here I am showing gratitude for what God has given me. But here's what my question is to you. Do the people around you see that you believe in God? So this whole season of holidays is an opportunity for us to show a watching world, what we believe. So Jesus comes into this setting. Now it says in verse 14, now after John was arrested. Now we talked about this the last time about John the Baptist. John the Baptist came upon the scene and he is saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's telling them these things. He's baptizing them out of repentance, not out of salvation. He is doing this. He's the forerunner, the Elijah type, if you will. And he comes on the scene and you go back to the gospel of John. He's even pointing some of his followers to Jesus saying that is the Messiah. That is the person. That is the person you should follow. Well, John got in trouble. He was talking about Herod, and he was talking about Herod's immorality and his infidelity. And because of that, he got arrested. He got put in jail. Later, we know he's going to be beheaded. But after this happened, it tells us in Mark chapter 1, and verse 14, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe 
in the gospel. Now just taking these two verses this morning and us just coming and and unpacking this and considering this together, I want you to look with me and I want you to think with me about the model that Jesus gives us of what faith looks like and how do you model faith to a watching world. He could have come on the scene and he could have done his miracles. He could have done his rabbit out of the hat tricks. He could have done a lot of different things. But as Jesus comes, you get to be the very beginning point of his ministry. And what does Jesus model for us? Two things this morning and we'll be done. The first thing I want you to see is that he proclaimed God. He proclaimed God. I don't want you to rush past that with me this morning and say, well, that's just simple. That's just duh. No, let's just think about it for ourselves. University of Arizona did a study some years ago, and they found that the average person says, speaks 16,000 words a day. Now, there's a common myth out there that women speak more than men, and that's something we can continue on. But the University of Arizona study said that wasn't true. They found no great disparity between men or women. But they found that the average person speaks 16,000 words today. So if you are one of those people that you're reserved and you're quiet, just understand there's someone out you. There's a, a, a different person from you out there that is making up for your lack of words. Average person, 16,000 words a day. The average person is going to speak at a rate of about 150 words a minute. What that means is, I've done the math, is that you on average speak. Not think, not hear, not watch. You speak. You speak an average of one hour and 45 minutes a day straight. So what are you saying? What's the content of what you're saying? We get on social media And social media, we get on there and we put things out there. We say things out there in type. And we say things out there in text. We say things with the way that we drive. We we say things with the way that we spend our money. We say things with the place that we go to work. We say things with what we do. But when it comes to Jesus, Jesus comes and he doesn't proclaim himself. He comes and he proclaims God. He says there at the very beginning, proclaiming the gospel of God. God. Now that idea of the gospel of God, what does that mean? Well, the gospel simply means good news. So Jesus is coming and he's proclaiming the good news of God. What would be the good news of God? The good news of God would be that he loves you. That he created you with a purpose and a reason for living. And he has a plan for your life. And that God has something very special for you and for those that follow after him. He's coming and saying, you know what? God promised you a Messiah. God promised you redemption. God promised you redeemer. Here I am. And he's going and saying, God is real and God is real in your life. Now notice what he didn't do. Jesus could have come and proclaimed his ideas. Well, you know what? I've got some ideas secularly. I've got some ideas socially. I've got some ideas what we can do to improve the state of the nation. I've got some ideas what we can do to improve our culture. No, he could have proclaimed his ideas. He did not. He could have proclaimed his opinions. Well, I think this or I think that. I was, uh, saw, I don't, sometimes they do it to Evan and they do it to me where you'll get some of these targeted ads and you're like, why are they? Why is this in front of my eyeballs? But they target me, and I don't know why they target me. But the other day I saw, you know how you get to the holiday season and they have the holiday sweaters? Sometimes people have the contest who can have the ugliest holiday sweater. Okay, don't, don't, okay, I guess I'm the only one. I guess I'm the, okay. So the other day I saw this ad for this holiday sweater, and it said, unvaccinated and ready to talk politics. 
I thought, whoa, can you imagine walking into the family gathering, unvaccinated and ready to talk politics? You know, there's so many times we get together during this time of year, and what do people want to talk about? People want to talk about my ideas, or people want to talk about my opinions. My opinions, 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 opinions. And it can be so easy for us to get back and say, well, I think this, and my opinion is that, and I, I da, 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 da. No, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't proclaim his ideas, he doesn't proclaim his opinions, and he doesn't proclaim, or he could have proclaimed his feelings. Jesus doesn't come and says, well, I feel in my heart this is what we're supposed to do. Or I feel in my heart this is, what the, I, this, this is the best thing for us. It says there in verse 14, he came proclaiming the gospel of God. He came proclaiming God. I realize that you may say, well, that's old-fashioned, or that is too simplistic, or that is too elementary. No, brothers and sisters, we could spend all 16,000 words every single day proclaiming God. And right now, we're living in a society that advertising is everywhere. Whether it's ad placement, whether it is branding. I mean, anywhere you and I go, you and I are going to see some intentional marketing around us. Whether it is in the sports stadium, or whether it is in the advertisement that we're watching on the television, or the, the radio advertisements, and used to once upon a time, you could get on like YouTube and some of these other streaming sites, and you could get ad-free. Now you got to pay for it, and if not, they just overwhelm you with advertisement, advertisement, advertisement. Why? Because people understand that it's not a matter of you seeing it once, it's a matter of the repetition. Why do I know that they claim that Fords are built Ford tough? Because I've heard the commercial a million gajillion times. And yet, in our Christian life, how many times do we miss an opportunity to proclaim God? In what we wear, in what we listen to, and how we talk, into what we prioritize, and where we go, what we say, we're missing opportunities to proclaim God. It says there in the text, Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God. I wonder if we have the intentionality to say that every single aspect of my life is going to proclaim God. From the clothes that I wear to the words that I speak to everything that I do, I want my life to proclaim God. There's something biblical about that. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31. Whether you eat, whether you drink, whether you sleep, do all to the glory of God. And we have an opportunity both today and tomorrow and the rest of our lives to proclaim God. And I wonder this morning, do you proclaim God? But there's another thing that Jesus does, and it follows there in verse 15. Not only did he proclaim God, but he proclaimed truth. You see, there's some individuals out there in this world today that they're proclaiming their God. They're proclaiming their idea of God. They're proclaiming what they want God to be, but they're not proclaiming truth. So notice in verse 15, not only does he proclaim the gospel of God, but it says this is what Jesus is doing. There's three parts to his message. He says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. He is coming in and he is saying, this is what the gospel of God is. You need to understand, the time is now. I put there in your, in your notes, God's timing is sure. Hold your finger here at Mark chapter 1 and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. 
2 Peter chapter 3. I want to remind you. Now, we've gone through 2 Peter several, uh, several months ago as a church family, but I'll remind you what it talks about, what Peter addresses when it comes to the timing of God. Jesus comes on the scene here in Mark 1, and he says, The time is fulfilled, which means that it is time for the work of God to continue on. But people want to sit back and think to themselves, Well, we don't know what the timing is. We don't know when it's going to happen. And all these questions come up that we try to reason together. Listen to what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and a verse, I'm going to start in verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Jesus is coming on the scene there in Second Peter and he says, do you understand? The time is at hand. It is time to tell people about Jesus. It is time to tell people about who God is. It is time to tell people about their, their sins and judgment and salvation and the good news. It is time to tell people about the love of God. It is time and we will set back and we'll go oh it's just not the right time oh it's no we're just not ready yet oh we'll have all these excuses why we're not engaging in the work that God has called us to what are we waiting on what are we waiting on to tell people about Jesus well, I don't know when he's coming back. I don't know the time. Or we want to say, well, you know, if I knew the time, then I would do something about it. And we try to, make, we try to interject all of these things into our ideas. God, Jesus is coming on the scene, and he is saying, the time is at hand. And you go all the way thinking back to the very end of Jesus' ministry in Matthew 28. And before he sends the right hand of the Father, what does he tell his disciples? He tells them to go and make disciples. He doesn't say, wait six months, wait ten years, wait for a later time. He says, go and make disciples. There's this active anticipation that we are going because we know that time is short. And yet we'll lull into this idea that the time is not right for us to get engaged. The time is not right to passionately seek this community with the gospel. The time is not right to stand up for biblical principles. The time is not right to engage in fidelity and moral faithfulness. The, the time is not right to set up and to proclaim God <laughs> that Jesus is coming. Make ready. The time is not right. And yet Mark says that this is what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now what is he talking about there? The kingdom of God just simply references, simply references this idea that all of us are living in the kingdom of God. We are all living in the kingdom of God. You may say, well, I didn't sign up for the kingdom of God. No, no, no. You were created by this God, and you are now part of the kingdom of God. And this whole idea that we are under the kingdom of God means that God is sovereign, that God is in charge, and we are in submission and under his authority. We are under the kingdom of God. And this kingdom of God, you put in your notes, this kingdom is real. That's why he tells them in verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. He said, do you understand that this whole idea, when you die, you're going to give an account to God. When you stand in front of judgment, who are you going to answer to? You are going to answer to God. You and I are all living in this kingdom of God. And so is everybody on the face of this planet. 
We are all living in the kingdom of God. So Peter picks it back up in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 11, and he says, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? So he asks the question, if you understand the time is now, and if you understand that God is real and the kingdom of God is real, then what should you be doing? Talking about ourselves, focusing on ourselves, trying to win the rat race of possessions and popularity, trying to chase comfort, satisfaction, contentment, trying to feel like we're better than someone else, we're smarter than someone else, we have it more figured out than someone else. What are we supposed to do? Jesus doesn't come in wondering about his possessions. He doesn't come in about wondering about his bank account. He doesn't come in wondering about people's opinion of him. He doesn't come in wondering where is he going to spend his next week. He doesn't come in wondering about all the things that we wonder about. And he's not coming in proclaiming all the things that, is, that, we, that we proclaim about today. He simply comes on the scene and says, God is real. Time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. He's coming and he's proclaiming to them, you better be ready for when you stand before God. Why, Spence? Because Jesus understands, and it is still true today, that everyone believes. I put there in your note, everyone believes. Where do you get that from, Spence? Is that something that you think? No. Look at the text. At the last part of verse 15, what does it say? Jesus looks at him and says, repent and believe in the gospel. He understands that every single person on the face of this earth believes in something. Everyone believes. You may believe in God, or you may believe in a false God. You may have idolatry. You may have your own opinion. You may believe in yourself. Everyone believes. But Jesus wants them to understand that what you need to do is make sure you believe in God. Believe in God. It's not a matter of belief. It's not a matter of worship. Everyone believes and everyone worships. The question is, is what is the object of their belief and their worship? That is the question that we are facing today in this world. It's not a matter that people don't believe. They believe. They believe that money is the answer for their problems. They believe that contentment is the answer for their problems. They believe that all of this Secularism is the answer for their problems. They believe that hope is found in something else in this world. They believe that the future is dependent upon themselves. They believe that they can answer their own problems. They believe in a lot of things that aren't from God. Which is why the writer of Ecclesiastes says in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13. At the very end of the book of Ecclesiastes, he finishes it like this. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. 
So when Jesus comes upon the scene, Jesus doesn't say, hey, you know what? I just need you to believe in a higher power. I just need you to believe in that fact that you can help yourself. I need you to believe that if you try hard enough, you can get to heaven. I, don't, I just need you to believe that if you do enough good things, I need you to believe that enough people like you. I need you to believe that you can earn your way to heaven. No, he says, I want you to understand that believing in God means you repent of your sins. You repent of your attempts to try to save yourself and you believe in what? Believe in the gospel. What is the gospel? You were a, not you were, you are a sinner. And that sin carries the penalty of death. And there's no way for you to be right before God on your own. So God sent his son, Jesus Christ, and lived a life, died a death, paid a price, and has made a way for you to be forgiven of your sins. So you repent of your sins, you confess Jesus as Lord, pray to be forgiven of your sins, and God will save you. And he says, believe. Believe. Jesus says, he doesn't say, give more money to the church. Go and buy a nicer Bible. Attend church every single week. Get in a small group. He doesn't say, try harder. He doesn't say, do all of these things that you and I will manufacture. Jesus says, I want you to know God is real and you should fear this God. So not only does he proclaim God, but he proclaims truth. You know, sometimes people don't want to hear the truth. They just want to hear what makes them feel better. And you know, sometimes the truth is you need to stop sinning. Your life may stink, but it's not going to stop stinking until you stop sinning. Last Saturday, I was dealing with a, a young man, drunk young man. A lot of issues right now in his life. And I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, none of these issues are going to get better as long as you keep trying to find the answer in the bottom of the bottle. And some of the situations that we've had, we find ourselves in life, we behaved our way into. And we lived our way into. And so Jesus comes upon the scene and it's not about saying, well, you know what, I've got the answers in five quick steps. You know what, you just need a buy myself help motivational book. He comes in and says, here is how you, here is how you respond to the kingdom of God. You repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus comes in, he proclaims truth, or he proclaims God, and he proclaims truth. So maybe this year, maybe this holiday season, maybe in our lives, not only can we be people that proclaim God, but we can also proclaim true things about God. 44 years ago, last Friday, November the 18th, 1978, 909 people died. They were all part of the People's Temple in Guyana. Now, not all of them died willingly. Some of them were forced. Some of them, over a third of the 909 people that died were considered children. But they all died in what was considered the Jonestown mass suicide. Why? Because they believed wrongly. Now, that's not enough just to say that you believe. The question is, what do you believe? The question is, what are you believing in? 
You see, there's a lot of people in this world that claim that they believe in what is right. They say they believe in what is true. But the question is, is what do they believe? What do you believe? There are things that you can believe that might be wrong. There are things that you might believe and I still lead you to hell. The question is, what do you believe? Jesus comes upon the scene and Jesus says, <coughs> I want you to see God in my life and I want you to know true things about God with my life. So this is where it comes down to us here this morning. So how do we then put these two verses of the life and the example and the model of Jesus, how do we put it into practice? Well, a couple of different things that I want to give you as walking points going out the door. The first one is this. You believe what you do. You believe what you do. You may say, well, that's not that great a grammar, Spence, but here's the, here is the reality. Here is the reality. You will believe, you believe what you do. And the converse of that is, you do what you believe. And you may say, that's redundant. Yes, it is. You believe what you do and you do what you believe. So if you look back this, over this last week and you look at the, the snapshot of your life, the things you spent your time with, the things you spent your energy on, the things you prioritized, the things that you did, that is what you believe. Because you believe what you do and you do what you believe. So it's not a matter of us coming in here in this room this morning and you're going, oh, I know I'm, I know I'm a Christian. Oh, I know I'm saved. I know I've got everything going right. I know that I, I don't have any issues. And you can say all the right words with your mouth and da-da-da-da-da. And then you go out and live a completely different life. This last week, there's been a lot of conversations about time. Time management. Being too busy. It's my fault, maybe, a little bit. I poked the, poked the hornet's nest last week. So even last night, somebody said, how are you slowing down? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying to slow down. I, I need to slow down. I should slow down. And I'm saying all these things out of my mouth. But the real question is, is what do I do with my life? So I'm not asking for you to come in here this morning and to say, well, I believe in God. I'm not asking you to come in this morning and to say, well, you know what? I know the Bible. I believe in the Bible. I think the Bible is true. What I'm asking you is, what are you doing with your life? What are you proclaiming with your life? Well, I'm not proclaiming anything, Spence. You have 16,000 words a day. You have 168 hours a week. You have a lot of time and opportunity that God has given you to proclaim something. If you're looking at me and saying, I'm not proclaiming anything, then start proclaiming something. You have something to talk about. You have something to proclaim. But then this last one. Your belief does not make it true. Let me try to qualify this for a moment. If you had asked me yesterday at 12 o'clock, Spence, do you believe that God's football team Do you believe that God's football team can beat those renegades south of I-40? Yeah, yeah, I, I believe they can. I believe they can. And I can look at you straight in the face at 12 o'clock yesterday and say, absolutely, I believe they can. But you know, the reality is, is my belief doesn't make it true. Now, why would I bring that up? Because there's some things in life that we believe, but that doesn't mean it's true. And just because you believe it doesn't mean it's true. And just because it's true doesn't mean that you're automatically going to believe it. 
So what Jesus does is he comes into this text and he wants to tell them, I want to proclaim God and I want to proclaim truth. Because there's a lot of different competing voices out there, a lot of competing different ideologies out there that are trying to say, believe this, believe this, believe this. And sometimes we get swayed, tempted to this idea, well, if I believe it, it must be true. Not everything that you believe is going to be true. And we must be careful when it comes to our lives that we're asking ourselves, what do I believe? Am I believing things that are true, that are validated and supported in Scripture? Or am I believing things that the world says are true? Am I believing things that I want to be true? Am I believing things that my mama says is true? Am I believing things that my friends say are true? Do I believe true things? Because your belief does not make it true. When Jesus comes in, Jesus makes it very clear that his ministry, his time on this earth. His purpose that God has given him is not to point necessarily to himself, but to point to God and to say, this is why I'm here and this is what I'm doing here and this is what I'm going to proclaim. And we can get caught up spending a lot of time believing wrong things. Even spiritually wrong things. And we believe things that don't point to God. So I bring you back to asking this morning, what do you believe? What do you believe with your lives? And if you and I were to leave, if we were to leave here this morning and we are all to take up a different street corner, all throughout the town of Weston, and we are standing on the street corner and we were to say, Jesus is Lord, God is creator, fear God and keep his commandments. The people driving by, would they believe us or not? Sometimes that question comes back to what have we been spending our days proclaiming? What has been the practice of our life? So let me plead with you this morning. Believe what is true. Practice what is true. Live what is true. And proclaim what is true. You bow your heads with me.